Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 25. Today, you'll hear my interview with Michael McClendon. Michael is partner and winemaker at Sage's Vintage in Nacogdoches, and he's my first guest from East Texas. And in my new segment following the interview, I'm giving gold stars to some winery and tasting room staff that have made a big impression on me during recent winery visits. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has released the 2020 Texas Wine Grape Varieties Report. In April of 2020, I wrote an article for the Texas Wine Lover website called Texas Grapevines by the Numbers, What's Trending Up, What's Trending Down, and What It Means for Texas Wine. That article used information from the Department of Agriculture's reports from 2015, 2017, and 2019 to analyze grape production in Texas to determine the most popular red and white grape varieties, and also to look at which varieties are increasing or decreasing in acreage. The article took a lot of time to compile. I entered all that information into a great big spreadsheet and then ran a bunch of different analysis on it. And I do plan to update the whole thing eventually. But for now, I want to mention the highlights from the 2020 report. It was compiled by the Department of Agriculture. They surveyed 545 Texas grape growers by mail and by telephone to compile this report. The big story in the data this year is the dramatic decrease in production tons, specifically in the Texas High Plains, the region where usually 80% or more of our Texas grapes are grown. Even with the addition of 120 bearing acres of vines, statewide grape production was down 50% from 2019 to 2020. Production in 2019 was about 14,000 tons. And in 2020, it went down to only 7,100 tons. Now, the Texas High Plains is responsible for this decrease. Production tons in the High Plains were down 68% from 10,300 tons to a mere 3,300 tons. When you look a little bit deeper, you'll find that the most planted grape in the High Plains is still Cabernet Sauvignon. And you'll see that while bearing acres for cab increased from 430 to 480 acres in just one year, an increase of 12%, production tons plunged from 1,140 tons to 460 tons. That's a 60% drop. Tempranillo bearing acres increased 11%, but production tons decreased 81%. Morvedra bearing acres increased 6%, but production tons decreased 86%. Now, there's no discussion or analysis in the Department of Agriculture's report on why production fell off so sharply, but certainly the Halloween freeze in 2019 was a big contributor. Plus, if you listened to the last podcast episode, and the news of the dicamba lawsuit, it would seem that the decreased production in the High Plains could be partially attributed to the drifting herbicide dicamba as well. If you have additional insight into reasons for this massive decrease, I would certainly love to get your input. So please reach out. The report also showed that the value of the wine grape production in Texas is $13.3 million, down about 40% from the previous year. 
The top 10 red grapes and the top 10 white grapes are unchanged from 2019. The top 10 red grapes are Cabernet Sauvignon, Tempranillo, Merlot, Morvedra, Sangiovese, Black Spanish, Malbec, Syrah, Cabernet Franc, and Tanat. The top 10 white grapes are Blanc de Bois, Viognier, Muscat Canelli, Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Grigio, Roussan, Sauve Blanc, Albarino, and Chenin Blanc. Okay, if you're listening to this before July 3rd, you've got time to bid on two to four tons of Tariga Nacional from Robert Clay Vineyards. It's up for auction. This is the first commercial planting of Tariga Nacional planted in Texas way back in 2020. There are between two and four tons available. And if you win, you must be prepared to take all that's available, up to four tons of fruit. Grower Dan McLaughlin says that the block has had one of the best crops it's had to date. The current winning bid is $4,000. There's a lot more information about the vineyard management, trellising, and auction details on the Robert Clay Vineyards website. Perspective Cellars, the tasting room and wine shop on Main Street in Fredericksburg is under new ownership. Founder Amy Nimick is moving on to learn to become a winemaker. And new owner Taylor Johnson has taken over responsibilities at Perspective Cellars. You can expect to see their classes starting up again soon. Best wishes to Amy and Taylor on their respective new adventures. Okay, some news about AVAs. You may know that an AVA is an American viticultural area, a specific area that's designated for grape growing. There are eight AVAs in the state of Texas. The largest AVA in the state is the Texas Hill Country AVA, and it's actually the third largest AVA in the nation. It covers 9 million acres. Within that AVA are two sub-AVAs nested inside. One is called Fredericksburg and the Texas Hill Country AVA, and the other is called Bell Mountain AVA. By the way, I have a cool AVA map of Texas, and I'm happy to send it to you if you message me or find it on my Instagram feed at Texas Wine Pod. So AVAs are in the news, and that's because the Texas wine growers just held a consumer event where they poured single AVA wines from nine wineries who are all committed to using 100% Texas-grown fruit. Chris Brundrett of William Chris Vineyards announced at that event that bottle sales from that day would help fund the process to create a new AVA in Texas. That process starts with the geological survey. It sounds like the new AVA would be would be the Lano Uplift, and it would be a nestled or sub-AVA in the Texas Hill Country. There's a video of Chris speaking at the event on the Texas Wine Growers Instagram page, which is at TX Wine Growers. A few things to know about getting a new AVA. It's quite a long process for a new AVA or for a sub-AVA to be delineated. The person bringing the petition has to prove a couple of things to the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, or TTB. The most cumbersome is the description of the geographic or climactic features that distinguish the proposed AVA from the surrounding region and how that has an effect on how the grapes are grown You've got to provide evidence to support your claims of these distinctive features. There's a ton of information about climate, geology, soils, and physical characteristics of the proposed AVA. You also have to include a description of the geographic or climactic features that distinguish the proposed AVA from the surrounding regions and how they have an effect on the way the grapes are grown. You've got to give evidence to support your claims of these distinctive features. 
According to the AVA manual for petitioners that's produced by the TTB, it takes many years for a new AVA to be named or for an existing AVA to either be redrawn or renamed. Stay tuned for more on this topic in the coming months. I always want to mention other podcasts that I think my listeners might enjoy. One I've enjoyed lately is called the Fredericksburg, Texas podcast. The podcast covers all sorts of interesting people and businesses in Fredericksburg, Texas and the surrounding Texas Hill Country. The podcast is brought to you by native Texan J.D. Rose and co-host, the owner of the Best of Fredericksburg and Crush Texas Wine Guide, Sandra Phoenix. Sometimes their guests talk about wine, like when Chase Jones of Slate Mill Wine Collective was interviewed. But all sorts of other topics are on the table, too. One of my favorite episodes was on the crazy Fredericksburg real estate market. It's fun to hear from so many great people who love Fredericksburg like I do. Be sure to check out J.D. and Sandra's podcast. Again, it's called Fredericksburg, Texas Podcast. It's available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Finally, I'm hearing that there are a bunch of California wineries buying up winery property in the Hill Country. They don't necessarily have plans to make Texas wine, I'm hearing. Someone in the know, please reach out and give me the scoop. The link to all the news I've mentioned can be found at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. You may have seen on social media that this podcast just celebrated its one-year anniversary. It's sure been a lot of fun and quite a bit of work, too, if I'm being honest. But hearing from listeners makes it all worthwhile. I really appreciate your social media comments and follows, your emails, and feedback. Truly, the interaction with listeners is what makes this fun. One thing about wine is that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And this podcasting experience has certainly reminded me of that. I've learned so much and met so many nice people who are willing to share their knowledge. So thank you for that. And thanks for listening. Here's to year two. My guest on this episode is Michael McClendon of Sage's Vintage, a custom crush winery in Nacogdoches, Texas. Michael and his business partner, Wes Jensen, opened Sage's Vintage in 2017, and they've been building a thriving East Texas winery ever since. I was pleased to meet Michael this spring, and I knew he'd be a wonderful podcast guest. Here's our conversation. You've described yourself as a wine cowboy, a bearded, dreadlock-wearing, African-American millennial son of a gun. (laughs) How did you end up in Texas wine? So, um... My, I guess my journey into the Texas wine industry came through university. Uh, I got a degree in biology and um, was offered an internship by the then department chair at the University of Texas at Tyler to go and well, actually was he said, uh, you know, would you like to do some research? He called me up and um, said, you know, I thought well, that would be kind of prestigious and, you know, doing some research with the department chair uh, for the summer. And when I got to see him, he said that it was going to be at a winery. And I was thinking, you know, young guy at the time, winery, that sounds cool, kind of hoity-toity fancy. Yeah, so I I agreed and went to work and um, enjoyed it and and really thought it was something totally different than what I was really expecting and um, than what maybe I had been exposed to before. Um, My parents didn't drink wine. I didn't grow up drinking wine, was not exposed to the industry. So it was, it was different, but, um, there was a lot of, 
uh, high-end science and technical work to the industry, and that was very appealing to me. So that's pretty much how I ended up uh, getting started and worked, I guess, since then. That was 2008 um, in a number of different capacities in the industry um, uh, with a laboratory and quality control focus at first, then into production and stylistics, and now uh, at a custom crush, kind of in a uh, still very much hands-on because it's a small operation, but it's more of a um, growth and I, I don't want to say consultant, but, you know, we, we work with over 30 different clients and trying to uh, cater to their uh, their needs, you know, really seeing what what's going to help them and, and coaching them through some of that stuff. Maybe more instead of a consultant, maybe a, a coach is a, probably a, a better term. I do want to talk more specifically about your custom crush winery, Sage's Vintage, but I want to start a little before that. You're really a child of East Texas, and I understand you're from the community of Prairie Creek mm-hmm. um, in between kind of Dallas and Tyler area, and your your fortune was definitely built in, in East Texas, and I know that your first job was at Keepersall. You mentioned working in the lab there. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience at Keepersall taught you and and your mentor that you found there? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, like I say, obviously it was um, my first foray into the industry and um, was very green and unassuming. But it was a it was a really great starting point for me, uh, being able to learn from the late Pierre Devet. Uh, he he was the proprietor of the estate and um, is a was a career farmer. Uh, ended up being a really great guy. That um, you know, I just I have so much respect for what he did and what he was able to accomplish. And uh, I'm very appreciative of him allowing me to um, to to come in basically green uh, with very little to no experience. Um, and, and I was able to learn a lot. I think that's important um, in anything that we do, especially, I guess, just the way that I kind of conduct myself is I always like to uh, learn or go to school on anybody that I'm around. So being around him um, for a number of years allowed me to uh, see how he uh, how he did business, how he treated people, how he uh, had certain expectations, you know, and, and you know, you kind of just learn those those things, uh, being in a space with someone like that, kind of watching him think about things or, or create outside of the box. Uh, East Texas at the time wasn't really known for wine, especially vinifera varietals. So, um, that, uh, Maverick or Cavalier kind of mentality saying that, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. Um, I think that was really important for me to see at the time. And um, and then, so starting off, like I say, there, working from the laboratory side into wine production, and then I um, had an opportunity uh, to spend a lot of time in the vineyard with uh, his nephew, Franz DeVette, who is still a, a good friend of mine to this day. And, um, you know, we would learn and, 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 and talk about the industry, and it was, it was different. Um, from the perspective that, you know, now I feel like there's there's a lot of synergy and communication, and uh, and that's also, and I'll allude to that later on, but that's also kind of, you know, why we decided to put together the Sages Project, but uh, being able to get 
quality information was a little more sporadic at the time. Um, we didn't have podcasts and and different outlets of information that would just kind of feed that that wine uh, bug. Um, I think Jeff Cope was still just getting started with uh, Texas Wine Lover, and there's you know just kind of the the very few wine writers um, in our industry here for the state. So uh, Franz and I would, you know, we would search out information and and read and study and then just be very hands-on on the, the growing side and then in the wine production side as well. You know, it was, it was nice to bridge that gap. Uh, that's often a place where there's a huge rift in the industry is between growers and winemakers. There's, you know, that big separation so us being on the same page, being able to speak the same language and and him being able to express what's happening in the vineyard and me being able to show the results on what's going on in the winery, I think really helped to uh, shape a lot of my, my mindset on, on wine production. You're the first person I've had on the podcast from East Texas. And so for people who might not be as familiar with what goes on out in in East Texas in relation to wine production. Uh, what, what should people know either about variety selection or winemaking or disease pressures, anything that you think is relevant for people to know? It's really hard to, to just kind of summarize that um, really any differently than what's going on in the rest of the state. Um, here in East Texas, there are probably a, a bit more of the hybrid grape varieties planted, Blanc du Bois and the Lenoir Black Spanish grape variety that are that are uh, cultivated here. Um, but there is quite a bit of vinifera planted as well. Um, you know, this past 2020 vintage, we were able to um, bring in uh, for the first time that I've had a chance to work with some Petite Syrah from here in East Texas that was very nice. And, and I think that overall, if I had to just generalize where Texas is at, it would be that we're still in a, in our infancy as much as we are growing and moving forward and, you know, having success. Um, we're still very young. We're still figuring things out, uh, still having trial and error issues and, um, which is not uncommon to farming as a whole. Um, but you know, that's kind of where, where I think we are. We're, we're looking at, what is successful, why it's successful, uh, you know, really just getting some vineyards to maturity, um, you know, seven, eight, ten years old at this point, and, and seeing that it can be done. And, then, and a lot of it is just a matter of uh, will at this point, you know. Do you have the longevity and the will to, to stay in the game and, and to make it happen? So um, East Texas is coming along um, we're not there yet, but neither is the state as a whole. Um, I think that over the last five to five to eight years or so, um, the amount of talent, the amount of infrastructure and, and knowledge has really grown. Um, we've kind of seen that jump started um, with a little bit of exponential growth in the last, I would say, three or four years um, with more proliferation of just beverage and food culture here, which I think is really important. It has to be uh, driven from the consumer side um, and having that pressure to make sure that we produce quality products for the consumers. Uh, 
and, and giving them sound options. And then uh, we have now an academic piece as well uh, for the infrastructure. UT Tyler uh, has put in a fermentation sciences program through the chemistry department, and it's a, a higher level class, uh, like some master's level classes. So uh, being able to have quality high-end academic support in an area helps to um, really just bolster what's going on here in East Texas. Well, that's cool. I bet you'll be the most popular guest instructor in that program. That's very cool. (laughs) So at some point along the way, you decided that the industry needed a place to do Custom Crush and uh, some folks to help um, brands through that process. Can you talk about the decision to start Sage's Vintage and what you've got um, currently underway in Nacogdoches. Absolutely. So initially, it was just kind of a conversation. Being in the industry, you see growth and you see things that are happening. And, you know, there was, I think there was kind of a void in general for um, a little more customized touch on on wine production. And, you know, we were, uh, my partner, my business partner, um, we were kind of kicking the the idea around and like you know maybe we could do a consultancy or something like that but you know just the way it is that a lot of the farms and a lot of the vineyards and and people that have their places are are very spread out and so it kind of made more sense for what if we just you know brought all those people into one spot um with the custom crush and so that's kind of how the idea was born and it it came along very rapidly. It wasn't a, you know, we we got this giant dump truck of money over here, and we're going to dump it off into this great building and and do all this stuff. Uh, we started off in an old dairy barn and renovated it. You know, put up a lot of corrugated tin and insulated it and made sure that it was uh, sound enough. I read that maybe the fruit might have come in just a bit before you were ready for it that first year. Absolutely. I mean, that was uh, a the the very first day of production um in our place uh, very first day of crush uh we didn't even have an, an operating pump and you know if obviously if you've been in a wine making facility pumps and hoses are how things go you know so um we learn how to use buckets and we learn how to uh make sure that we track logistics better <laughs> as well but you know that's that's kind of the the birthplace of, of sages is that in, in, in all humility, just knowing that we can we can make wine very well and that, you know, that's something that's kind of missing from some portions of the industry, especially for access to that knowledge, access to the information. Uh, that's what was was lacking for for me at one point in time. And so being able to kind of provide that same uh, courtesy and service to a lot of fledging wineries and people that are prospective on getting into the industry. And then understanding that Custom Crush is also beneficial to those wineries that have been um, been a part of the industry for a number of years if they need to expand without having to increase their uh, footprint um, or if they want special projects done. Uh, that's kind of what what was, uh, what was has become and morphed into, into what we're doing at Sage's Vintage. One thing that you're doing there that you've mentioned a couple different times in different ways is is educating folks. And I think one of the ways you do that is through your annual symposium. Can you talk about what you've seen that accomplish? Yeah, sure thing. So year one, it was an open house. And so we just 
wanted to basically just show the the wineries in our region that hey we're here this is a resource to you you guys can come and ask questions or taste and see and i think we might have had like like three people stop by <laughs> you know um but that's fine and then the second year we had uh fritz westover um luke holcomb and then we had uh stacy rollins and they all kind of spoke to us and and we um Learned uh, a number of different things, you know. Of course, Fritz was about the vineyard, and then Stacy is one of our. She actually is is our very first client. We attribute her as the one that kind of, you know, helped us earn our first dollar. And um, you know, she's uh, operated tasting room for a number of different years, uh, and and really uh, motivated us to to take the step and just you know just get started, guys. Just do it. And so. Um, she spoke about uh, the tasting room and some of the challenges that that she has from a firsthand perspective, uh, and some of the successes that she had had at the time. And then we had Luke Holcomb um, speaking to us about uh, oxygen management and wine. And then the uh, the third year, we were able to um, bring in uh, Tony Johnson, who is a management and leadership consultant. And I think he really set the tone and, and really got it started for us. And then um, we had uh, Michael Peters from T.N. Coopers uh, talking about barrels and oak programs. And then we had Jordan Beaver from the University of Texas at Tyler. He's the uh, the new professor. He's actually a UC Davis graduate and was uh, just introducing the program and, and again, kind of saying, hey, there's a, a great resource here. And then we had Eglantine Chauffeur of Lamont Avier, and she was going over uh, influences of uh, manoproteins and tannins on finishing wine. So, um, you know, the, the education piece was really huge for us because, again, that was something that was like, you know, I, I want to know more, I want to learn more, and I want to be able to discuss these ideas. And I think that's a big part of what Symposium is about. It's about discussion of ideas. Um, and, and uh, you know, we were attending Twiga and attending the Hill Country Symposium. And I think those are uh, great resources to our industry. Uh, but there's still quite a bit of ground to cover uh, physically. So we, we wanted to bring something uh, back to the eastern part of the state. Well, I noticed this year that you had you had Fritz again talking about some more viticulture specific topics, and then you had Chris Brundrett talk about how to build a wine brand in Texas, and James Tidwell talk about how Psalms view Texas wine. And uh, I just wondered if there were any takeaways from any of this year's sessions that that have particularly stuck with you. Uh, I mean, the whole thing. It was a this year was a, a tremendous success. Um, and it, it wouldn't have been without those guys. So thank you to those guys if they are listening. They're, you know, it's it was uh, basically friends helping friends. You know, hey, we're going to put this 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 program on, and I really um, could use you guys' help. And just kind of that, that's how it how it was birthed for this season. Um, but I think having Fritz there was very impactful. So again, I mentioned early on that here in East Texas, we do a lot of work with the hybrids, the Blanc Dubois. And because of our um, now what seems like the new normal of uh, crazy weather patterns, you know, um, but having that uh, that big Arctic blast and the snow on the ground really crippled the Blanc crop. And um, 
Fritz is you know very well traveled, and for him to to go and see what that impact looks like, and and also offer some solutions on hey, here's what you do moving forward. You know, if you have to go back and um, you know cut out the dead wood, and you know if you've got healthy root systems, you can train something up. But you're a couple years out, but you know really I think that's a lot of it too, is because it it's happened so you know, talking about what do we do next is, is really the most important part instead of like, Hey, this happened. Yes, we know it happened. It's dead. It's, it's, you know, it's very tough, but I think that was really important for him to, to be there to share with us and, uh, um, kind of coach us through, uh, some of what was going on. And when I say us, I mean, I, I was learning as much as any of the attendees were, um, even without necessarily being hands-on with Blanc Dubois and the vineyard side of it, but, uh, really just understanding, what that, uh, what the next steps look like. Um, and then of course having, uh, Chris there, arguably the, the, the hottest brand in the state right now, one of the hottest in, in the U S, you know, I think I would say, um, it was really impactful and and I've known him for a number of years and, and, and I think a lot of people, um, maybe you're just kind of catching, you know, seeing right now and saying, Oh, this is the hottest, this and that. But, um, Chris and Bill have been working hard for a very long time. Um, and it's not an overnight success. You know, I think that's, you don't see all the work that goes in behind the scenes and, and that went on for a number of years, um, ahead of where they are today and really championing Texas and, and championing the grower, the, uh, being an advocate for the consumer, you know, getting off into these different channels. And that's really what he was, um, he spoke about was, um, how it was important for uh, the people who were there to understand what their goals were in the industry, um, you know, to be true to themselves. And, and I think it was, it was very well received by everyone and, and um, was really excited to be able to have someone who's, who's basically started, you know, and, and bounced around and, and has got his hands into a couple of different things and then finally has uh settled in at, at William Chris and um and, and is doing great things, especially now after the merger with Lost Straw and the and, and bringing in just kind of everything under one umbrella, just really um very forward thinking. So um, He's very inspiring. Absolutely. And then of course having James Tidwell, a master sommelier there, uh I mean he, just him there alone was <clears throat> it was exciting, you know, to hear him um, share kind of what 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 his views are, um, the ways that you would approach uh, getting off. Because I think that's the that's a was kind of a unifying theme throughout was understanding what your goals are so that you can have success. And and from his perspective was. You know, when if you were going to approach an on-premise or restaurant sommelier, you know, what to do, when to do it, why to do it, um, and all of those decisions of the why kind of feed back into, you know, what you can be doing in, in wine production. So um, it was all around a, a great symposium, and we were very fortunate to be able to put that on for, for everyone this year. Sounds good. I'm going to try to come out next year. I know you have one day that's open to non-clients. So I'm going to see if I can come. Uh, speaking of James Tidwell, we met for the first time at the Texom International Wine Awards where you were a judge. 
And I've always heard that winemakers are difficult at the judging panel because they're very sensitive and critical over uh, anything like like Brett that and certain thresholds is okay, but other thresholds, it's too much. I didn't find that with you whatsoever. I think you did a great job, but I just wondered, uh, what was judging like for you? Is that something you've done before? Did you enjoy it? What'd you learn? So that was actually my first uh, opportunity to judge. And uh, I guess if anything, so uh, the panel that I was on or that we were on together uh, was Texas High Plains. And and if anything, maybe it speaks to the, uh, again, just overall quality of where the industry is at right now. There are f- very few things that were just, um, you know, cardinal sins that we, we tasted through. So uh, it made it so that as a winemaker, I wasn't a prima donna. So thank you for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but I think it was a, it was a great experience to be able to to learn as much. And I, again, I've tried to take every opportunity to learn, to listen to, to everyone at the table, um, to hear their perspectives. They're, they're important. Um, it's easy as a winemaker to become self-righteous and to really just rest on our own laurels, but that's not how progress is going to be made. And I think it's really important to take those opportunities, um, as learning experiences to help to grow and move forward. Um, in wine, and I, I don't know if it was in one of the the open meetings or somewhere. I feel like maybe in general, just in the the ethos of Texom, um, it was important to talk about that wine is changing and it's not stagnant. Um, people's preferences change, uh, stylistics change, um, and I think that's a a, a huge part of what makes. Uh, wine exciting right is that and and i think if you're a winemaker and producer you have to be aware of that because if you decide well hey i made this wine and this is the way it is and this is great and it should be like this every single time um you know people they they fall in and out of love with certain varieties or certain styles i think that was part of a a conversation was that britannomyces um was once a desired characteristic and and some french wines and uh where now it's like no get that you know that's this is not acceptable and it's a a flaw and and so understanding that there are ebbs and flows to to our industry is really important and and taking it from more than a just a a small i think it's important to understand your your region your town your your vineyard your you know drill it really down and, and get granular but um, I'm even working on just in general, instead of saying he's being a part of the Texas wine industry, it's just part of the wine industry. Um, it, it, that's, that's what, what happens in, in, in all the wine regions is that there's, there are changes and there are, um, new schools of thought and there, there is a respect to tradition and an homage to, uh, history and all of those different things. And I think that is, um, is it always has to be taken into account sitting at the judge's table is that, you know, what's going on there. So I think it's really important. I was in touch yesterday with one of your clients who is a friend of mine, uh, Michelle Anderson, and uh, she's a big fan of yours too. Um, <laughs> but she told me that you are working on a project for with her uh, that is a sparkling wine. 
So we have been wanting to um, bring a sparkling aspect to wine production for um, about two or three seasons now. Um, things were kind of slowed down last year. We planned on it. We ordered. So we in 2018, I believe, um, we ordered a bright tank, so a specialized piece of equipment to uh, pressurize the vessels. And then um, we ordered a counter pressure filler at the beginning of um 2020 and it was supposed to be in around september you know after primary fermentation was over with and then we could bottle in the fall and maybe play with it through the winter and maybe have something in the spring well you know everything was delayed and crazy last year so we did not receive that equipment until um earlier this year in 2021 um which is fine um, we just didn't get a chance, uh, to get up to speed on it, but you know, in general, that's going to be something that for anything that we do, we're, we're, we're becoming a more sensitive and more cognizant that, um, the reach is, is fairly broad. And so we want to make sure that those products that go out are, uh, the best representations of what they could be. Um, so, you know, that being said, we, we hadn't put, a hard date on it and have been just we haven't really really even been advertising it uh, to our clients you know a lot of people have asked and and requested and said you know you guys should do this and you should do that um what we did do uh or it just kind of happened like you know when you see something that looks different in the winery like, what's that well this is the piece of equipment don't get your hopes up you know it's, might it's, be a while it might be a while but um but yes that is something that we're going to be working on providing it. It'll start off as just an effervescent, so it'll be force carved. Um, but you know, it, once we kind of get that process down, Pat, um, we're going to look into uh, potentially doing a Charmat or tank ferment style method, um, maybe with a bioreactor in C2. So um, you know, we're we're just taking it baby steps you know you know piece by piece because uh you know we're, as we continue to to get further and further into into bubbles um you know it's it's very apparent that if winemaking is uh is a is a dark art you know then um then then bubbles is like a secret society within the <laughs> secret society of winemaking so um it, there's definitely a learning curve that's different, uh, but we're open to the challenge for sure. So, you know, eventually I want to uh, change or, or adopt, I guess, a new moniker instead of being just the Oracle. I'll go by Bobby Bubbles from, from here on out. There you go. Is there any pet nat in East Texas? <laughs> Not yet. Um, and, you know, we've, we've thought about it. I just don't know if it's um, if it's something that we could – we could feasibly do, um, and I think that was a lot of it is about equipment and space. Uh, we're, we do a lot of work in a very small amount of space, um, and and so that's kind of uh, not the limiting factor. But you know, again, it's it's once you kind of get off involved into sparkling or, or bubbles of any type. Um, I think it has to be done. You kind of got to nail it. You got to get right with it. So um, we haven't gone down that road yet, but um, and I don't. I don't necessarily see foresee us going down that road. But I'm not saying never. 
and and, the, and even not just us. I think there, you know, uh, there are a number of wineries here in the area that uh, are hungry to continue to provide the best service pieces they can to the to the consumer group. So um, it, it could show up somewhere. So if you've got around 30 clients and a small production facility, I guess uh, scheduling and logistics is uber critical around harvest time. Absolutely. So, uh, and really, you know, this year was, um, it was unique in that uh, it didn't really stop after harvest. So scheduling and logistics was just a, a continued song and dance that we had to, to play. And, um, you know, it's important to know, but I, I think a lot of that starts with understanding and having relationships with growers. That's really important uh, from the winemaking perspective to to identify targets and say, hey, we want to get it more ripe or less ripe or have this acidity as a target, you know, as opposed to just shooting for bricks or sugar levels. Do um, we want these flavors? We want more tropical notes. We want more um, citrus notes or we want uh, you know, heavy, thick skin notes, you know, I want you to let it raise in a little bit, whatever the conversation is. But, um, you know, having great communication with the growers is really important. Uh, being efficient in production when it comes in is very important. So scheduling uh, throughout the times of day and then making sure that we get um, a quality, clean fruit whenever it arrives. We still get a, a large percentage of our uh of our fresh fruit from the high plains um, from some great growers in that area there uh, and from central Texas as well. And so making sure that it is uh, either refrigerated or at least stabilized in the fruit phase so that we don't have any spontaneous fermentation before it arrives to us is really important. Uh, so managing that has been something that we're uh, very diligent in doing uh, and coordinating um making sure that it arrives and can be worked appropriately when it shows up to the facility. So you've gotten a lot of recognition over the years. I know that in 2017, when you were at Keeper Saul, you guys won the top Texas winery from the Houston rodeo. And then personally, you've had wines win gold medals. You've been featured in a lot of press. And just recently, you were named a rising black voice in wine by Wine and Spirits magazine. So what, what do these um, pieces of recognition mean for you, what means the most, or how do you define success? Wow, uh, what a tremendous question, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a minute. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, you know, honestly, the recognition is great, and and um, those things are, are important uh, to a small degree, but uh, over the years, what's become uh, paramount for me in understanding what is and isn't success uh, is a little bit more more personal. I think it's important to bring someone along the way with you. Um, what I mean by that is that just like like I say, what we're doing here, I, I talk about education and exposure and showing and teaching, and uh, those things are really important, you know, um, because again, this I wasn't exposed to the industry. I wasn't, um, I didn't grow up with it, uh, and so. I just, for lack of a better word, fell into it and, and and really enjoyed it. But I think that's important to be able to to create spaces, um, whether it be for minorities. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a big 
um, talking point, obviously, right now. Uh, and it's really important. It's one thing that, you know, I can't turn it off. You know, I mean, I can't not be the guy who I am, be a black guy and, and um, in the wine industry. Um, and I think it's really important to, to you know, break down barriers and walls, but that's not necessarily like the the goal, like my, like I said before, is that I didn't set out to be a good black winemaker. I set out to be a great winemaker, period. Um, black, white, purple, striped, polka dotted. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, I, I don't want to be some viewed as like a, um, wow, this was, this guy was really good for a black guy. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I want this guy to be viewed as really good and he just happens to be black as well. And so I think opening that crease for someone else to come along and so that it doesn't even have to be part of a conversation anymore is like, man, this guy's just, he's lights out or, or she's one of the best winemakers I've ever worked with, or, you know, she's the best viticulturalist or whatever, like, you know, whoever that person is, I think it's really important. And then, um, also success to me is, is, um, you know, contributions and, and giving back to, uh, to, to your community. So, you know, trying to be there at little league games and, you know, talking to different groups around town and, you know, those, those things are kind of what success looks like to me. Um, so I, you know, I try not to let the hype go to my head, you know, maybe behind closed doors, you know, I get excited or something <laughs> like that, but, um, it's only momentarily because there's still a lot of work to do. And, and, uh, I am very flawed and have made a lot of mistakes and will probably make a lot more mistakes in the wine industry. But, uh, but I take them as learning experiences and, and then lessons as opposed to losses. Well, it seems like you're on a great path and, um, and willing to learn and admit your flaws, which not everybody is. I often ask, what is like your desert island wine? But instead, I'm going to ask you, I know that you've done a lot of travel related to wine, but if you could go work a harvest anywhere in the world, where do you think it would be? Um, wow. That, I have so many places that I would want to go. Um, I'm intrigued by... You know, really ancestral places like um, Armenia. Um, I think that would be you know, really just seeing what some of those uh, vineyards and and wine production styles from antiquity look like. Um, um, I think that would be super rewarding, um, just for the the reverence of it all. You know, just kind of to yeah. be in that space. Um, Cradle of the grape. Yeah, I think I think that would be just be um, a great experience. Um, but then, you know, I, I think it's also it would be neat to go to some of the technologically savvy places, um, some of the big production facilities in Australia. Um, I think would be really neat. Of course, France. Um, really, just 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 seeing it, um, and then of course, I'd like to work you know at some others here in texas that's what makes it actually probably the most difficult is that that's that's the least likely thing to happen sure. but um to be in the mix with with your friends and uh and and uh, to to see what they're thinking and uh, to share ideas i think that would be really cool to do at some point in time i, I think it like i say it's less likely to happen because we're all at the same time you know Busy doing what we're time. what we're doing but um 
you know, see, seeing what what's different at at other facilities, what what happens on the high plains or in central Texas or in the hill country, you know, what what are the mindsets and and what goes on there? And and, I, and it's still, I mean, we're very collaborative. Um, um, was able to uh, share just kind of some tasting notes and some raw wine with um, David at Pedernales, you know, on some some Roussan lots that we had together. Um, and I think that's really, you know, kind of a cool deal is that um, fortunately because of technology and because where we are, we can we can be collaborative and not have to be in the same room. Yeah, that's good. Thanks to Zoom and all the things that we've discovered over the past year, there's all kinds of new ways to do it. Right. Okay, you mentioned Armenia. Have you seen the documentary? It's actually from the Republic of Georgia, but it's called Our Blood is Wine. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so good. It is uh it, it makes me I mean I don't I don't know if it's right for me, but I mean I'd like to try and see what this uh the what is it, the cuvebre, the 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 large clay pot, the M4 that they use that Yes. I, I'm uh I'm a little intrigued and I think that but but that's what's exciting um um not necessarily just the the clay pot but since you mentioned it it made me think about uh concrete tanks and things like that and I know uh, a couple years ago I think I'm trying to think of who who it was Brock at Flygap okay um I think he was he was using like some mineral or stone that he got from that masonry. He's very proud of that masonry, which is exciting, right? It's like you've got guys and girls that are um that are they're in their places and they're still a part of the industry, but they're you know really championing what's going on there in a in a healthy way. And I think he was uh putting together some or thinking of putting together some concrete tanks. I don't know if he ever uh finished that project, but just like, you know, I think things like that add credence to the the wanderlust, I guess, of the wine industry. What's different? What's next? What's more? And um, and it's it's cool to see that kind of stuff. It but is. yes, and seeing that documentary, uh, man, just that the passion, the 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 tradition, and I think that's something to it. Is that especially we get so um, we're, we're very technical. Or I I will I won't generalize. I'm very attuned to what the newest technology is, and that always takes this first you know first thought process and like that's what's new what's exciting what's next but again like i said before is that what's really cool about wine is that it does pay homage to history and so seeing the history of that country through um through winemaking is really awesome yeah some of the things that that may be perceived as being new are in fact old, like skin talk, skin contact right. whites or many things. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you feel like is important for listeners to know? I think it's like always important for me to say that um, I wouldn't be where I'm at without my lovely wife. She's a great support system for me and um, has been a supporter and a champion of all that I've done. And, uh, you know, as a in in the rugby community, I used to play a little bit of rugby. Um, they always say you outkick outkick your coverage when it comes to marriage. So I definitely did that with her, and um, always have to just kind of give a tip of the hat to her. Very sweet. And I know you guys have a son that you're trying to train up to have a good palate. Yes, he um, he stopped he stopped by the I say stopped by he goes goes to work with me, but stopped by the winery the other day and. Um, 
he's he's very attuned to time, and he's like, Dad, what are we doing next? Now, come on, let's stir this up. Let's get this done so we can go home. Let's get this done. Oh, okay. He's going to um, keep you on track this summer while he's yeah, in school, he's, I guess. Yeah, he's definitely the the supervisor. You know, he keeps keeps me in line. and uh, But he's he's it's really exciting. You know, I'll, I'll let him smell and taste, and um, sometimes just that unfiltered uh, youth full comment is is really beneficial whenever he might say you know it's this is like those cherries that we had the other day or this is like blackberries or something like that you know it's the things that that he knows um seeing him break down or understand you know from a a truly obviously novice but um but to get him to start focusing in and being present um in those tasting moments has been really cool that's very cool. Well, I want people to know where to connect with you. Is uh, your Facebook and Instagram Sages Vintage? Yeah, so you can find us on uh, Facebook and on Instagram. Um, SagesVintage.com is our website. Uh, we're, we're working on a number of different things to just become more engaging. Uh, it's different because we are a custom crush, so we're, we're behind the scenes, but at the same time... Um, you know, I think it's it's exciting for uh, people that are perspective or interested in wine to to want to follow along with what we're doing and to to catch some information. So, um, yeah, check us out on social media, uh, like our pages, follow us, and uh, if you see us, then we'll have to share a glass together sometime. Thanks, Michael, for sharing your story. Listeners, be sure to follow Sage's Vintage on social media. On Instagram, it's at Sages Vintage. On Facebook, it's Sages Vintage, a custom crush winery. Next up, I'm handing out demerits and gold stars. It's time for gold stars, and I just have to give a shout out to the people working in hospitality in the Texas wine industry. I've been doing a lot of wine tasting and dining out over the past couple weeks, and I've been super impressed with the incredibly knowledgeable folks who are pouring wine in Texas tasting rooms. At Southhold Farm and Cellars, I got the chance to meet Jackie Mancuso, the relatively new vineyard manager at Southhold. Jackie has many years of experience in viticulture. She was overseeing over 350 acres of premium vines in Sonoma. Southhold just grafted 14 acres of estate wines. They planted a field blend, and apparently there are about 30 varieties represented. I love it when great people with experience in other wine regions are drawn to Texas because of our exciting wine industry. Welcome, Jackie. And P.S., the tasting board at Southhold was the best winery food I've had in all of Texas, hands down. Next, I went to Vintner's Hideaway, a tasting room in Fredericksburg where you can taste wines from several smaller Texas wine producers. Tasting room manager Dana Carter blew me away with her knowledge and passion. She's got a long history in Texas wine, and I have a feeling she knows all the secrets. The best part was that Dana's approach was engaging for the super enthusiast as well as for the newbie. I loved getting to try wines from Whisper Path, which are new to me, and to revisit some favorites from Ray Wilson's labels Dandy Rosé and La Valentia. I'm going to make Vintner's Hideaway my cheers bar so that I can learn all I can from Dana and the rest of the team there. Then I spent the most educational afternoon at the Austin Winery with the winemaking team of Cooper Anderson, Adrian Ash, and Travis Elliott. I've been following the Austin Winery and had quite a few of their wines that are in distribution. 
This is one of the most unique wineries I've visited lately. The winemaking is very thoughtful, and they're using a lot of interesting techniques, like amphora vessels, extended skin contact, and unique blends. Their website describes their wines as low-intervention, small-scale winemaking using traditional methods. And by traditional, I mean things like foot crushing. I tasted a paquette that includes cider, a red pet nat, a white blend that spent 175 days on skins and was amphora-aged, a canned gruner and pickpool blend made from single vineyard lots in the Texas High Plains, and even a canned red wine coffee Amaro cocktail that was a collaboration with their neighbor, Spokeman Coffee. But they've got delicious wines that are more traditional, too, like single varietal Viognier, Senso, and Sangiovese. One of the cool features at the Austin Winery is that they allow the winemakers there to pursue their own projects at work. I tasted two of these efforts, and they were both delicious. Adrian Ash has her own label called Ash Wines, and she's produced a yummy, sparkling Sangiovese and Pickpool blend that was fermented and aged in amphora and produced in the traditional method. It was hand-riddled and disgorged, so you can imagine all the work that went into it. Travis Elliott has his own label, too. It's called Elliott Family Wines. I tasted both the Austin Winery's Viognier and the Elliott Family Wines Viognier from the same vintage and vineyard, then nerded out over the winemaking differences with the winemakers. This is pretty much my dream. I'll definitely be watching to see what comes next from the Austin Winery and the winemakers who work there. Travis's Viognier is sold out, and Adrian's Sparkling is nearly sold out, but still available in half bottles. That's the thing about wine. You can't just make some more, so get it while you can. Thanks for the fun afternoon, Austin Winery. Well, join me again in two weeks to hear from the one and only Ron Yates. And please subscribe to the podcast and also leave me a rating and review. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Texas Wine Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you've already done all that, maybe send me your comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes. You can even send me your recommendations for gold stars and demerits. My email is texaswinepod at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 802 585 one two eight six. Maybe I'll share your comment or question on the next show. Remember, all of the show notes for this episode are at thisistexaswine.com. That's where you'll find the links to all the news stories I shared. While you're there, you can also sign up for the newsletter and click support the podcast tab to buy me a glass of Texas wine. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit TXWineLover.com to help plan your next Texas winery visit. Thanks for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.